uh, Matthew chapter eight is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But as we begin this morning, I, uh, I wanted to, if I can, refer us back to where we were at last Sunday, what we were talking about. I made a statement last Sunday as we um, began officially this, this sermon series uh, entitled Bless Every Home. The statement I made was you were blessed to be a blessing. And we see that laid out there in the life of Abraham, who's been called by God to leave his homeland, to leave his people, to leave his family, and to move to a place that God would show him. And God promises this blessing. He says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. Now, when we read that chapter of scripture, obviously God is speaking specifically to Abram at this point. But then as we see the, the word of God progressively unfold for us, and as we see what God uh, does for us and does with us as his believers in the New Testament through Jesus Christ, we see that the promise made to Abraham is also a promise made to us. God desires to bless us, but not just so that we can sit around with our blessings and and enjoy them for our own good, but we're to take those blessings, namely salvation, and to pass that on to others, to bless others with the blessing of salvation. And so it was true for Abraham, and it's true for us, you and I today, those of us who know know Jesus Christ, are in relationship with him, it is true for us to be a blessing to the people who are around us. You know, sometimes uh, I've heard people ask a question like this, and usually it's coming from someone who's outside of uh, the Baptist sphere, uh, someone who's particularly not a Southern Baptist. And they would look at us and they would they would ask the question, why are you Baptist so passionate? Why are you so insistent on evangelism? Why is that what you're all about? Why, why are you always seeking not just to meet physical needs, but you want to take it a step further and, and really speak to the spiritual needs in a person's life? Why are you always trying to share the gospel with someone? Those are questions I've heard over the years. And so my answer, and, and hopefully your answer, is, is very simple. We are passionate and we are insistent on evangelism. We are a missional people because of the Bible, because the Bible leads us and teaches us that mission, that our, our, our Preaching of the gospel, our sharing of the message of Jesus Christ is what we are to be about. Uh, And so a missional conviction, as we read through the scripture, we see that a missional conviction is present within God's people. There's something about the calling of God upon our lives and the blessing that he's given us to not hold on to it, not to hoard it, not to uh, stack it up and, and preserve it for ourselves. But We want to take it and deposit it into someone else's life, just like it was deposited in our own lives. And so we have a missional conviction about us that is grounded in the in the word of God. We see it all throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We see this missional conviction where the people of God take the blessing of God and, and in turn pass it on to others so that they can experience the same blessing and then pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. That's all throughout scripture. Uh, as we think about this blessing it uh, and as we seek to see it in the scripture, we find that it's perfectly and it is beautifully portrayed in the life of Jesus. Now, obviously, you go from Genesis to Revelation, you see a lot of people who don't always perfectly pass the blessing on to someone else. You take Israel as a whole, for instance. The nation of Israel was to be a light to the nations. They were they were the one to preach the gospel to the nations around them, a light there in Canaan for these pagan and immoral nations to see that the God of Israel is the one true God. He's the one to find hope and salvation in. But Israel largely missed out on that. And there were glimpses of it, but they largely missed out. You move to the New Testament, you see that there were Christians who were not the gospel light that they should have been. They were not the blessing that they should have been. 
Even Paul himself never perfectly and most beautifully uh, passed the, the gospel or the blessing of the gospel onto others, even though uh, I would contend that he is the greatest missionary, the greatest church planner the world's ever known, this side of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's in Jesus that we find this this missional conviction most perfectly and most beautifully portrayed as he left the, the throne room of heaven came to this earth to lay his life down as a ransom for the sins of humanity and, and, and how he embraced people, how he blessed others. I mean, think about, we just came out of Christmas, and so hopefully this is pretty uh, fresh on our minds. But when you think about all that happened during the coming of Jesus, you have literally God the Father blessing uh, humanity with the gift of his son as the father sent the Lord Jesus in human form, fully God, fully man, to be born through Mary. We have God the son there in his birth, and we see the father blessing the the son who was born in human form. And, uh, the angel who was speaking to Joseph in the vision says, you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. There's purpose there. There's blessing there. Uh, you've got the father's commendation on that. Then you uh, you go a little further into Jesus's ministry. It's just being launched. Jesus comes down and he uh, comes to John, who's baptizing there in the Jordan River. And Jesus requests to be baptized by John. And, and John does that. And immediately when uh, Jesus raises up or is risen from the water, the father begins to speak a blessing over his son. And so uh, the father blessed us with the birth of Jesus, blessed us with the baptism of Jesus. And all of that was so that Jesus would be a blessing to the people's of the world. And so this reality was again demonstrated in, in a passage that uh, uh, this morning I read in my devotion. And so it's found in Matthew chapter nine. And I want to uh, to direct your attention there if, if I can. Matthew nine, just kind of set up what's going on here in, in the text. Matthew nine is where we see Jesus Early on in his ministry, he's walking, he's traveling through the area of Galilee, the northern part of, of Israel, northern part of the Canaan area. And Jesus is traveling along. And as he's doing so, he is healing and calling people to himself. He's inviting them into a relationship with himself. And so we see him uh, healing in, in miraculous ways. We see him calling people uh, to himself as well. So, for instance, the first eight verses there, Jesus is encountered with a paralytic that he heals and forgives of his sin. He crosses the boat, he uh, crosses the sea on a boat and he comes up on the dry land. And uh, here's a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw the faith of the people who brought this this individual to Jesus, he declares, take, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven, which kind of threw the religious people into a tizzy because they were saying, this is blasphemy. How in the world could you ever declare that someone's sins are forgiven? And so in order to prove his ability to forgive sin because he is God, Jesus says, take up your bed and, and leave. And so he physically heals this man. Jesus speaks life over this man and he's healed physically but more importantly he's healed spiritually we go on a little further and we see in verses 9 through 13 how jesus calls matthew this tax collector this jewish man who had uh, in many from a jewish perspective had turned his back on his countrymen jesus comes up and says come follow me uh, here's a tax collector a hated uh, man a person that the jews would have looked at and said he had no business being in the kingdom of god and jesus invites him to himself but not only that Matthew 
throws a dinner, a party, and Jesus sits there with all the people that Matthew associated with, all of these quote-unquote sinners, Jesus speaks into their life and he calls them to himself. We move a step further and we see in verses 18 through 26 how Jesus resurrects the daughter of a ruler. This man comes to Jesus and says, my, my, my daughters die. Can you come and help her? And Jesus immediately goes to, to help this man, to help bring life back to his daughter. And he resurrects her. But something else happens and even on the way to, uh, to be with this little girl, a woman who had a discharge of blood for, for many years, 12 years, uh, follows Jesus and reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and immediately is healed. And so Jesus heals her. Jesus raises this young girl from the dead. And then we find in, uh, in, in verses 27 through 31, how Jesus uh, gives sight back to these two blind men who heard about Jesus, probably from the crowd or probably just from all the things that were going on. They had heard about Jesus. Someone had said, you know what, you're blind. You need to go find Jesus. And so they followed Jesus and Jesus turned to them and healed their blindness. And then in verses 32 through 34 of this chapter, we see Jesus now um, releasing a man who had been demon possessed for some time, who had actually inhibited him from speaking. And Jesus cast these demons out. And this man is able now to speak. He touches this man's life. He preaches, he heals, he calls people to himself. And then as the chapter ends, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so here, this chapter ends with a great example of all that Jesus has been doing. He says, I want you to go and do likewise. I want you to pray that God would empower you, God, that would that God would send you and that you would be fruitful in what I am doing. And so this blessing that God has bestowed upon us has been beautifully portrayed in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was a blessing so that he could be a blessing to others. He experienced the blessing of the Father so that he could be a blessing to you and to me. And so we're to go now and do Likewise, let me just share a couple thoughts, four thoughts in, in reference to specifically the, the passage here in Matthew chapter 9 regarding these two blind men. Let me read the text. It says in verse 27, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do what you're asking me to do is what Jesus is asking. And they responded, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open and Jesus sternly warned them. This is an interesting verse here. Jesus sternly warns them, see that no one knows about it. In other words, I don't want you to go and speak of this. I don't want you to go and talk about this. I don't want you to go and share this with everyone out there. In verse 31, we see that they didn't, I think they were in, they couldn't, for some reason, they couldn't help themselves. And so it says, but they went away and spread his fame through all that district, through all that district. Let me share with you four things in regard to what we see here in the life of these two men and Jesus working in them. First thing that I want you to be aware of is this, the men suffered from blindness. Well, obviously they're blind, but that's what verse 20 is one. 27 tells us, uh, two blind men followed Jesus. These, these men were blind. 
They were physically blind. They could not see. And and so just imagine, they've heard about Jesus. They've heard the stories about what Jesus has just done, how he spoke uh, over a dead girl, and now she's alive. A a woman who had had this discharge of blood for 12 years is touching the hem of his garment, and she's healed. They've heard how he sat down with tax collectors and sinners and spoke life to them, how they were transformed. And so this got them thinking that this got them believing I've got to be where Jesus is. I've got to touch him. I need him to touch me. And so these blind men are, are, are walking toward Jesus, following Jesus, perhaps following the, the, the commotion of his entourage, but they're following Jesus. And as they're doing so, they're crying out to him, have mercy on us, son of David. They, these men suffered from blindness. They were physically blind. But there's something else that we we need to see in this text. They weren't just physically blind. They were spiritually blind. You see, the Bible tells us that all of us are spiritually blind until we come into relationship with Jesus. All of us have sinned and fall short of God. Romans chapter 3 there. I just quoted verse uh, 23. But early on in that chapter, the Bible tells us that none of us seek after God. No one wants to know God. There is something rebellious within us that's innate with our nature, and it makes us blind to the things of truth. Though we've been made by God, though we've been made for God, though there's a desire within our hearts to know God, we are blind and unable to do so until Jesus takes the blinders off of our spiritual eyes until he gives us a new heart. These men suffered from physical blindness, but there was a greater need in their life, and that was their spiritual blindness. Uh, you can look at it this way. In Acts chapter 9, you've got Saul of Tarsus, this zealous uh, Pharisee who's persecuting the church. He's literally at the authority of the Sanhedrin going and dragging followers of Jesus out of their house churches, out of their times of prayer, and imprisoning, if not also executing them. And when Paul or when Saul, there in Acts chapter 9, is headed to Damascus to do that very thing to the church, he meets Jesus on the road. And he has this encounter with Jesus that changes his life. And Jesus tells him to go on into Damascus and, and stay there until someone comes to speak over him. And when that person came, if you remember the story, as that brother prayed over Saul of Tarsus, something fell from his eyes and it was like scales. And so the picture there is this. When Jesus touches our life, when he changes our heart, we move from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. What we couldn't see in Jesus before, now we see with clear vision through the eyes of faith. These men suffered physically from blindness, but they suffered more importantly from spiritual blindness. The second thing I want you to see is that the men heard about Jesus. Again, verse 27, they followed him. They're following him, crying out, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. They didn't just uh, one day wake up and say, you know, I I think I'm going to just start saying, have mercy on us, son of David. No, they heard about Jesus. Someone told them about Jesus. Someone told them about this man who had done all of these miraculous things just days prior to this. They heard about Jesus. Leads us to a third thing. Verse 28, we see that these men believed on Jesus. When they were crying out, have mercy on a son of David, they must have done that multiple times because Jesus kept walking, is what the text tells us. But when he entered the house that he was going to, the blind men also came. They continued to follow Jesus, continued to seek after him. And Jesus turns to them and asks, asks this question, do you believe that I'm able to do this? What you're asking me to do, 
do you believe I'm able to do this? You really believe that I'm able to do this? Notice their answer. They said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. They didn't say yes, rabbi. They didn't say yes, good teacher. They didn't say yes, um, um, friend. They said, yes, Lord. See, they had at this point believed on Jesus Christ. They are putting their faith in him as Lord as well as Savior as the master of their life, as the one who would call the shots in their life. And so these men weren't just seeking a physical blessing from Jesus. No, they had heard of Jesus doing more than that. And now they're seeking the greater blessing, the blessing of a new life found in Jesus Christ. They believed on Jesus. You say, what's the difference between believing on and believing in Jesus? Let me explain it this way. Anybody, and perhaps almost everybody, believes in Jesus. If we were to go out and, and poll the people in the streets, I, I think a large majority of the people, if we asked them, uh, do you believe in Jesus Christ? In other words, do you believe that there is or was a man by the name of Jesus that's recorded in Scripture? A lot of people, if not most people, would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us in his, his epistle there that even the demons believe in Jesus, but the demons don't believe on Jesus. In other words, the, the demons of hell don't place their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They're not placing their lives upon Jesus and saying, I'm staking everything upon Jesus. But that's what these men did. They said, I believe that you can do this, Lord. I believe that you can touch my life. I believe that you can give healing to my eyes. But more than that, I believe you want to do something in my heart. I believe you want to do something deep within me to transform me. These men believe on Jesus Christ. And then a fourth thing that we see in this passage the men, these men, blessed others with Jesus. They blessed others with Jesus. Look there in verse 31. Uh, this is on the heels of obviously verse 30 where Jesus says, see that no one knows about it. Don't, don't be saying anything about this. My, I think he's saying this for maybe a couple of reasons. Number one, he's probably saying this because it's not his time. He still has ministry to do, and and it's not his time for the persecution to break out and the crucifixion to take place. And so he's just saying, um, hold up. Don't make too much of a spectacle on this. But I think perhaps the second reason and maybe the greater reason is is to help us to see that when a life is changed and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, you can't help but talk about it. You can't help but share that blessing with other people. And and so perhaps Matthew, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit and using Jesus's words here to these men, all of this is working to point us to the reality that when Jesus transforms us, we can't help but talk about it. We can't help but share it. When Jesus has deposited the blessing in our lives, we can't help but take that blessing and deposit it in someone else's life. So verse 31. Tells us they went away. These men who had believed on Jesus as Lord and Savior, who had experienced physical and spiritual healing, they went away and spread his fame throughout all of that district. Everywhere they went, they encountered people who would say, hey, brother, aren't you so-and-so? I, I thought I, I usually see you down on the corner begging for alms. I, I usually see you down there and you're being led by the hand by somebody because you blind, at least I thought you were. Why in the world or how in the world 
Are you walking around? How are you able to see? How are you able to do things you've never been able to do before? And these brothers, they, they took joy in this. They just looked at him and said, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what happened the other day. You see, I heard a story about this guy named Jesus passing through my area. I heard how he, would, he had called this tax collector and, and said, come follow me. And then he had this meal with these guys and he loved them and embraced them just where they are. And I heard about his love for them. I, I saw how he raised the young girl from the dead. I saw how this woman who had this, this illness and this discharge of blood for so many years and it devastated her. But now she's healing and she's great. She's doing wonderful. And I heard all of that and I said, I've got to find Jesus. And he touched me. And I was once blind and, and my friend here was once blinded. And we both went to Jesus and today... We can see. You see, every time they met somebody, they was asking him the question of how in the world can you see when just a few days ago I was with you and you couldn't see. They couldn't help but to say Jesus did it. And the same is true for you and I. When we come into relationship with Jesus Christ and our sins have been uh, washed away, our sins have been removed, just like the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, and, and God remembers them no more. He no longer holds them against us. When we experience that kind of grace, how in the world can we hold on to that blessing? When the person who's been uh, just steeped in alcoholism and, and, and perhaps tried for years to overcome that, but because they were not in relationship with Jesus, all they could do was be further enslaved to alcohol. When Jesus frees them from that, all that person wants to do is to say, Jesus changed my life. All they want to do is say, Jesus did this and, and he'll do it for me. If the person who, whose marriage is on the rocks and, and, and they reach out and look to Jesus and he changes their hearts, husband and wife. And so he puts that marriage back together. He heals that home. All the family can do is say, Jesus did it. And so the struggling people that's around them in their marriages and in their families, they want to say, look to Jesus. He changed me. He can change you. These men couldn't help but to spread the fame of Jesus Christ. Were they disobedient? I guess in some ways, yes, they were. When Jesus gave them a pretty clear command, but they, they couldn't help it. And I believe the reason Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has recorded these words in Scripture is to help us to see for our own lives that when we are walking in faith, that when we are trusting in Jesus, that when we are experiencing and enjoying the blessing of God that's in our life, we can't help but want to pass that on to others as well. Today, spiritually blind people, think about this, live all around us. Spiritually blind people live in your neighborhood. They live perhaps next door to you. They live down the street. They live around the corner. They obviously live in our county, our state, our nation, and, and, and around the globe. The nations are spiritually blind. I uh, spent four days with the IMB this past week uh, in some training for churches and for missionaries. And, and, and man, I was just so encouraged to be around our IMB missionaries uh, serving in some of the areas of, around the globe and hear some of those stories and, and being challenged and encouraged from God's word to, to engage the nations. But you know what? We don't have to go to the nations, even though we need and must go to the nations. We can go next door because God has placed us, put us in, in neighborhoods and communities where we are to be the light in a dark world. Just like Abram was to be the light in Canaan, shining in this 
spiritually dark world and pointing people to the gospel that would come through Jesus Christ, you and I to be a light shining on our street, in our neighborhood, in our county for the glory of God and for the good of the people in this world. See, God desires to be in relationship with the people of this world. Romans chapter 10, if I can share a few verses there, I want to remind you of this great, great word from, from the Apostle Paul. He tells us there in Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a great promise. It, it, Paul's saying here that it doesn't matter if you're white or black or red or brown. It doesn't matter if you are from Asia or you're from Europe or you're from South America or right here in Virginia. God desires for all people to be saved. And it's easy. No, it's not. It, it, I should say it's simple. It's not easy. It costs God a great deal, but it's simple. All we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and we will say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive my sin. Jesus, I, I surrender my life to you. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. God desires to be in relationship with all peoples everywhere. That's what Paul's saying here. But then he goes on to verse 14 and 15 to say this, uh, speaking and, and with the understanding that God desires to be in relationship with all and that it is a simple message that can be simply believed on. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Obviously, they're lost, but how can they call on them upon this one? Because they've not believed him. How will they believe? He's taking it a step further. If they've never heard. You see, the person that lives next door to you perhaps has never heard the gospel. And Jesus has placed you there so that you would be the person who says, look to Jesus. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. You're like the two blind men. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once this, but now Jesus has changed me to what I am now. He's transforming me day by day. How will they call or how will they believe unless they have heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You see, they can't hear the gospel unless someone is sharing it. There's going to be a day when everyone will stand and give an account of their lives. They're going to give an account of what they did with the gospel. And many in this world will say, I never heard. What a tragedy that is. What a tragedy if the person living next door to you will stand before God one day and will say, I never heard the gospel. Will he be let go? Will he be he or she be um, given grace at that point? No, because all of us uh, have been given the ability to, to look to God. God will not judge us based upon our sincerity. God will judge us based upon what we did with the gospel. And so we, as God's people, need to do everything we can to take the deposits of the gospel that's within us and put it in the hearts and minds of others so that they will at least have the opportunity to believe. How will they hear without someone preaching? Someone needs to herald the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. There's not preaching as if, as if uh, or like I would do, or as what I'm doing right now. It's not what Paul's necessarily saying. It says someone's got to voice the gospel. Someone's got to share it with them. You can't just expect it to transfer through osmosis. I live close to them, so surely it's going to bleed off into their life. Surely they're going to see in my life that Jesus has done something and be drawn to that. Obviously, you ought to live a good life, a life that honors Jesus. And it, what, what that does is it validates the gospel, but it doesn't preach the gospel doesn't preach the gospel. They must hear through preaching. And then verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
speaking of missionaries, there's a church sends out missionaries and church planners. But listen here, as a church, we send one another out. As a church, every Sunday, we gather to worship, to, to, to be equipped in the word of God, to be encouraged and, and, and to be challenged. But when we disperse and leave our service and leave our small groups, we are then, as a church, sending one another out into a world as gospel lights to preach, to share, and to take our great, the great deposit of truth in our lives and to be a blessing to others. That's what we're to be about. So how can they hear unless someone preaches and how can someone preach unless they are sent? You are sent to be a blessing right there where you live, right there where you work. You know, going back to our passage, like the, the men who were blind, we should be so overwhelmed by God's grace that we cannot help but bless others with the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't help because you're just overwhelmed by God's goodness in your life, God's grace in your life. Never forget, listen, never forget what Jesus has done for you. Never forget. Remember the, the, the story that Jesus, uh, the gospel share about Jesus's life. I believe there was 10 uh, lepers that come to Jesus seeking to be healed. And Jesus heals these lepers. And he sends them away. And as the lepers are, are leaving, two of them turn around to come back to Jesus to thank him. And I believe Jesus says, wasn't there just, wasn't there 10? Why has only two of you come back? I think sometimes as Christians, we live our own lives like that. We've experienced the grace of God. We've experienced his goodness. We enjoy his blessing on us. And we're like those eight lepers who had been healed. And we just kind of go about life without any sense of gratitude. We just kind of leave it in the, in, the, in the background of our life and move on. We need to be like those other two that say, you know what, I'm so overwhelmed by God's grace that I want to thank Jesus. And one of the best ways you can thank Jesus is to live a life as a blessing to others. Live a life as a blessing to others. So the question, why are we so passionate? Why are we so insistent on evangelism? Why is a Southern Baptist convention, are we so uh, set on being a missional people? It's because the Bible tells us to do that. We are a Bible people. Redling Baptist Church is a Bible church. And so what the Bible shares, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible portrays is how, how we're going to live our life and what's going to consume our life. Why are we passionate and insistent? It's because we were once blind, but because of Jesus, we can now see. Because of what Jesus has done in our lives, the spiritual blinders have come off and we can see. And as a result, we want to bless others with that same healing we've found in Jesus Christ. This is the heart of every disciple. This is the heart of what it means to be someone who's walking and maturing in their faith. It's not about you. It's about Christ and about others. You know, Jesus was asked, well, teacher, what is the great commandment? Jesus says, you've heard what it said. You've heard it said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he took it a step further. But I say also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, he says, hinge all of the law and prophets. The word of God hinges upon loving the Father and loving others as well. Uh, this week I was reminded of a, a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British preacher of the, um, of the 19th century. 
Charles Spurgeon said this of discipleship and, and evangelism. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I don't think Spurgeon was saying that if you don't share your faith every second of every day, you're not a Christian. I don't think he was trying to argue the point that if that's not the practice of your life, that you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ. Though I would say this, if it's not the practice of your life, it could be an indication that that's true. But I think what Spurgeon was trying to do is he was trying to spur his church on, spur the church on to understand that the, that the, one of the goals of our life ought to be sharing the gospel and taking as many people to heaven as we possibly can to make disciples, as Matthew 28 says, of all the nations, of all people groups. And so our lives ought to be indicative of a missional conviction as we seek to bless others with the blessing that we have received in Jesus Christ. And so uh, over these several weeks, as we talk about what it means to bless every home, uh, I want to encourage you to go to blesseveryhome.com if you have it. This is a great tool. It's a great resource to help all of us to strategically think through how we can actually be a blessing to every home in our community. I think sometimes we get lost in the uh, the magnitude of the calling of God upon our life. We get lost in the forest, so to speak. We look at the forest and we get lost in all the trees. There's just so many. Where do we start? Well, if you will take the, this, take advantage of this tool, this this opportunity, and go to blesseveryhome.com and, and register if you haven't already. What that will do, if you'll go through that, you'll be able to sign up. You'll be able to indicate where you live. You'll be able to um, orchestrate and, and orient what your uh, area is going to look like, how many households you want to pray for. And then you'll get reminders on a daily basis of people in your neighborhood to pray for. And, uh, and that will lead to you caring for them. That will lead to you sharing the gospel with them. And then that will lead to you also walking with them in discipleship. That's what it, we want to do. That's what we want to, to be, to be a blessing to everyone. And so we're going to be preaching to these four aspects uh, over the next several weeks that will lead us into into February. But remember, this is a tool to help you and I to strategically carry out the Great Commission. Tools have to be used. So I want to encourage you to, to get signed up. If you've got questions about a caller office this week, we will be glad to, to walk with you and to kind of walk you through a tutorial and help you to get signed up and, and do everything you need to do to get ready and to begin praying, caring, sharing, and discipling the people where you live. And if you'll do it and I'll do it, we will all become a light in our neighborhoods, in our county, that will in turn uh, pay huge spiritual dividends for years and years to come.